Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. The Weighing Machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think. On the podcast today, disappointing jobs numbers and what they mean for the economic recovery. We will also discuss the key qualities of top investment firms and how to get more women working in the industry. That's with our guest, Amy McNada, Senior Vice President and Head of Discretionary Portfolios at Brinker Capital. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start with a look at the markets. How is the second quarter shaping up? Well, it depends when you're listening to this recording, of course. Days ago, we were hitting new highs. And as the market is digesting some new economic data, there's a little more volatility. But you know what? If you think about it, really kind of the three primary drivers of what's been pushing the market higher this year are still in place. The economy is getting better. The Federal Reserve is still very supportive. And quite frankly, the market looks pretty strong when you look at the internals. There's a lot of companies or stock prices still doing well. So I think the trend is still your friend. All right. Well, we did have a disappointing jobs report for April. The economy added 266,000 jobs. That was far lower than expectations, which are generally at more than a million. So what do you think is the significance of those numbers? Well, there's been a lot of really big economic numbers of late, and that was definitely one of them. The labor data arguably is the most important. But you know what? The, the number was disappointing, but in terms of gauging economic demand, it's still there. It's just that it was, it's kind of a supply thing for employees. The demand is still there. You can see it coming through in payroll uh, wage growth. You can see it in hours work. So the economy still looks strong. But the other number uh, that came in is the inflation number. And it was anticipated that we would see an uptick inflation, but it was still higher than expected. And in fact, when we look at consumer price indexes. It had the biggest jump in core CPI month over month since like 1981. And core CPI, which again, when we say core, it's stripping out food and energy at about 3%. That's the highest number in a long time too. Big numbers. Well, let's bring in our guest, Senior Vice President and Head of Discretionary Portfolios at Brinker Capital, Amy Magnata. Amy, welcome to The Weighing Machine. Thanks. Good to be here. So, Amy, you have been at Brinker Capital for, I believe, more than 14 years. Um, before that, you were at Franklin Park in Philadelphia and BlackRock in New York. Can you tell us more about your background and your journey to your current position? Sure. Um, so I attended Lehigh University with a, a finance major there. My first job out of uh, school was at SEI Investments as a mutual fund operations analyst. Didn't last there too long. <laughs> Not really of interest. Uh, but I did was able to join BlackRock much smaller organization um, than it is now when I was there back in 2001. But Great foundation to learn about investments, particularly fixed income. You mentioned Franklin Park. It's a, a private equity institutional advisor that I spent a few years there and then joined Brinker in 2006. So uh, I've been on the Brinker investment team for my entire um, tenure there. 
started on the due diligence side, really for um, private investments and some alternatives, but then quickly moved more broadly into all asset classes and and then um, our discretionary portfolios team. Well, Brinker Capital was founded decades ago, 1987, and last year, Big Change merged with Orion. What is unique about Brinker Capital and how the firm manages money? Yeah, I think you know Brinker has always had a, a focus on financial advisors and their clients and, and really helping them reach their financial goals through investments and through service. And I, I think that's you know, the Orion merger really um, speaks to that as well. And I think you know Brinker's approach has really been consistent for the entirety of the firm. So the discretionary portfolios have been around since 1995, and we've really had the same consistency of process through that time. And I think that's pretty unique in the industry. We think about managing portfolios um, that are dynamic, so that are that are active, broadly diversified. And then what we do is, is select third-party investment strategies to fill those, those asset allocation decisions. I would just highlight another uh, unique characteristic about Brinker, I think, in the industry is just how we've structured the team. So we're all generalists on the investment team. So we think about asset classes. We think about markets across the board. Um, We also look at managers from all styles. So I think that helps us create, uh, be able to think about relative opportunity set, which I think is pretty important in in how we want to manage money. Brinker has also won numerous awards in the industry, including it was cited by Barron's last year um, as being one of the top mutual fund families. It's also won awards for being a top place to work. What do you think are the key qualities of high performing investment firms? A few uh, that I think are very important. I think culture is very important. So Brinker and, and since 1987 really has cultivated that that culture and being able to have everyone work towards this kind of common goal of, of serving financial advisors and their clients. And I, I think everyone um, at the firm being on, on board with that is really beneficial to having that high performance firm where people want to work and they want to stay. I mean, at Brinker, the tenure is pretty, pretty long for a number of, a number of people. And I would just say opportunities for growth too, as you know, I've been fortunate to be able to, at different firms to be able to, to grow that way. Um, but there's also opportunity for growth um, inside the firm. And I think that's great to have a path where you can continue to build on your responsibilities, take on new projects. And that's key for employees and being a, a high performing firm. And then maybe just adapting to, to be able to maintain competitive advantage over time is, is very important. And then thinking about the, the specific to you mentioned the Barron's Award, you know, the investment process, that piece, I think, you know, a key quality to be able to maintain that over time is just have a, a process in place that's pretty consistent and, and works uh, and have all of the team members really be able to buy into that process and execute on it. Yeah, those are all really good points. You know, something else Brinker is known for is its work in behavioral finance. And in fact, Robin and I just recently had a great interview on the podcast with Dr. Daniel Crosby, who is now the chief behavioral, let's see, behavioral officer at Orion, of course, had that role at Brinker. And he's a well-known behavioral finance expert. You manage a lot of money. So how do you incorporate behavioral finance into your own decision-making process? Um, I think there's kind of two aspects to that. The, the first would be how we're thinking about building portfolios and kind of investment solutions for, for clients. And we've always 
had the, the focus on, we say, investor returns, not just investment returns. So it's, it's important for clients to, to stay focused on, you know, are you in a portfolio that you can stay in to stay invested that meets your long term goals and objectives? And then for on the breaker side, we have to build portfolios that can deliver on those expectations that we set. So actually working with um, Dr. Daniel Crosby, we developed a product offering called Personal Benchmark at Brinker. And that was really one way of trying to take the focus off of, you know, did I outperform the S&P 500? Um, well, no, your, your 60-40 portfolio is not supposed to outperform the S&P 500 every year, but really focusing them on their long-term goals. You know, are you in the right portfolio to meet that? And then I think the other piece is in that investment process. And, and Rusty, you know, thinking about things like investor sentiment. So on the flip side, we want to take advantage of some of those behavioral biases to be able to, you know, on the investment side to really take advantage of that. So things like when investors overreact, it creates dislocations in uh, asset classes that we can take advantage of. And then we think about it kind of both from both ways. All right. Well, let's apply some of it right now. So in terms of, you know, we already kind of talked about it's been an amazing year in the markets. What's always an amazing year, the last couple of years in particular. And this year, of course, economic data, market returns, it's, it's been crazy. So how would you say portfolios have evolved so far this year for Brinker? And what is your outlook? Yep. I, I think, you know, our outlook, as you can said at the outset, pretty positive. Um, the economy has been very strong. I was somewhat concerned that maybe we'd have that stronger economy and the market maybe lag a little bit behind that um, strength. And we haven't seen that. And so we continue to think the economy is very strong and that asset classes and and markets, you know, the technical backdrop is pretty solid. Um, So we're pretty positive. I think some of the things that we're thinking about today and how the portfolios have evolved, you know, we've had a growth outlook a meaningful growth overweight in portfolios on the equity side throughout 2020, um, which was beneficial. But we're starting to see, and we saw it at the end of last year, that rotation out of growth and into value. So uh, we want to take be able to make sure our portfolios are positioned as, you know, we're not going to catch the inflection point perfectly, but we want to be positioned so that over time we're taking advantage of that. So we're shifting assets towards towards the value side. International or U.S. versus international is another big decision. We're overweight the U.S. You know, we want to be positioned more, more neutral. So adding to international and emerging markets. Um, and then on the fixed income side, just given the interest rate environment, you know, we're still pretty much staying shorter duration than the broad market. We like credit today, um, although credit's getting pretty expensive too. So we need to find other areas of opportunity. Um, so we've looked at some of the absolute return strategies that kind of have lower volatility, maybe um, fixed income-like volatility, but aren't necessarily dependent on interest rates or credit. I was just going to ask what you looked for in alternative strategies. All right. So getting philosophical again and thinking about your career. So you've worked at some great firms. You've been in the industry for a while. Who have been your mentors and role models? Do you have anybody you could mention? Yeah, um, I would say, I, I think early on being at BlackRock in a, a time when they were much smaller and I had a, a very client-facing role there, um, serving you know some of the largest institutional investors in the U.S., being able to have contact with those eight founders of, of BlackRock and listen to their stories uh, was really helped me, I think, and you know, think about the evolution of the investment industry and, and how to how to serve clients and and thinking about portfolio management. So I, I you know like Larry Fink, listening to his story of, of how he built the firm, you know it never got old. So it was pretty interesting to learn from them and then learning from just kind of seeking out those 
you know, smart people throughout the organization. And, and, you know, I think that's really important for people to be able to, to find that they don't necessarily have to be in your exact, you know, mentors don't have to be in your exact, you know, field or reporting structure, but being able to seek out those people. And I think at Brinker, Chuck Widger, the founder of the firm has been just a great advocate for, you know, investment management and Dreambeam and as well. And then working with, with Jeff Ropp over the last 15 years on, on some of the discretionary portfolios, just being able to learn about um, more on the individual side and how important it is to think about the individual client versus the institutional investor. Those are definitely some big names in the industry. Well, Amy, I did want to ask you about the role of women in the investment industry. It's heavily male-dominated for the most part, and there are not many female portfolio managers, despite the evidence that women are actually better money managers. So, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> What's it going to take, do you it's, think, to you know, convince more women to join the profession right. and, but, you know, for the profession to hire more women? It's, it's two sides to it. Right. I, it's, it's an important question. I think you're thinking again back to BlackRock. That was so long ago, but there were very few women on the trading floor. You know, very few in portfolio management or analyst roles. And I think it's hard as a woman to be able. You know, you need to find that mentor, and you need to say, "I could, my career could turn out like hers." And so we need, you know, more of that. I actually think that this, you know, the pandemic and the shift from work from home to work from home and just more flexibility might help. Thinking about, you know. The CFA exam. I mean, I took that before I had kids, but I cannot imagine having young kids and being able to dedicate that much time to studying or being able to you know, balance that work life. I, I mean, a Brinker's always been fabulous at that, but most firms are not. And so I think being able to have this maybe work from home or more flexible work environment might help more women kind of stay, stay in that in the portfolio management industry. I'm hoping. <laughs> Actually, our team is pretty diverse. I mean, we have on my direct team six people and three are three are women. So we're we're doing our part. <laughs> right. Well, that's great. Well, what advice do you have for women and really anybody that is interested in joining the investment industry? Um, I think just asking questions. And I, it's funny, my niece is just joining. Um, you know, she just graduated college and she's joining an investment bank in July. And, uh, you know, she asked me this similar question. I just think, you know, asking questions, reading as much as you can, always asking if someone needs help, because, you know, there's the more you annoy them, um, they might give you something to do and, and you might find it's very interesting and, and then they would find your work valuable. So be as, as much as your own advocate as you can. All right. I got some questions here. It's kind of more in the advice section. So these are kind of some favorite questions on the podcast. But first of all, I mean, we're creating content and information right now. There's just so much of it out there. How do you personally manage all the information that we have to deal with in our professional lives? It's, it's, you're right. It's, there's so much. <laughs> and um, I think even with just social media, just you can inundate yourself with just so much information. I try to spend, take time, um, whether it's, you know, the early morning or the, the evening. And just that's kind of my more reading time of just kind of getting caught up on what either the day or you know, maybe a, a research piece that I've been meaning to get to that I, I just wanted to read. So I think setting specific time for that in your day, also just challenging yourself to read opposing opinions. I think that's hard for um, most people. It's hard for me, but you should really be able to, especially in and you're thinking about making investment decisions, you should really be able to have that opposing opinion and, and be able to to make sure your thesis um, is bulletproof by by being able to defend it against some of those. 
Good behavioral finance tip there. I like it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yep. All right. So I'm not going to put you on the spot. So you cannot answer the weighing machine for this answer. So I know you want to. But <laughs> That's what, what I pod- down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So what podcast do you recommend for investors or advisors? Um, I like a couple of actually Bloomberg podcasts. Um, Odd Lots, I think, is a great podcast. Really timely kind of market. I've learned a lot about crypto on that podcast. Uh, and then Barry Ritholtz has that Masters in Business podcast. It's great guests, really informative. I, I like those are two that I like. I think you have to mix in some fun ones. Like I love the true crime podcasts. I've really gotten into those <laughs> as well. That was good. All right. So let's go old school. Those are podcasts. Everybody's doing podcasts. What about books? Do you have any books that you could recommend industry related or just otherwise? Yeah. I think the psychology of money is a great, great book. I really enjoyed that one. The one I just finished was called The Price You Pay for College by Ron Lieber. Uh, Really interesting look at that. I'm I have a freshman in high school, so we'll, we'll get there soon enough. But if you have kids that are approaching that age, I would suggest you read it. It's eye-opening on what goes on in that process. I think I read that. You know, that just triggered a thought when it comes to cost. One book that I really like that I've actually never recommended on here, it's a little bit older, but there's the economist Tyler Cohen, and he has a book called The Economist Goes to Lunch or something like that. And it gives you all these tips on how to pick restaurants and grocery stores and things like that. Anyway, I just had to throw that in there. It's a good one. And I've never <laughs> gone good. wrong. Anybody who's read it has really liked it. <laughs> Those are life lessons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, important stuff. Well, Amy, it has been really great to have you on the show today. Tell us how can listeners learn more about you and about Brinker? Yeah, I, I would encourage you to, to visit our website, um, you know, the Orion site, social media. I mean, we have a really a, a well informed kind of sales and service team that really is available to provide any information and answer any questions. You know, I just realized I had one more question and it's one of my favorite ones too. Um, and that is, and you would obviously have a great opinion on this, Amy, given that you've been around, you know, all these legendary money managers and you've been managing money yourself, big money for so many years, but what are the qualities or attributes of a really good portfolio manager in your opinion? Having a disciplined investment process is is really key. And if you have a team around you also um, of portfolio managers, just being able to buy into that process and I think is important. I think being able to listen to ideas and being open and being level-headed is also uh, very important. I think you know, not every move in the market deserves an action, right? Or a reaction. So we need to think about what is the most important and what are those key decisions that should be made in portfolios that will benefit you know, clients through the performance. And I think you need to be able to admit you're wrong. Um, you know, I don't want to say you, you should have a short memory because you should have a, a long memory because you need to think about investing through different cycles and, and what that meant. But also, you know, on the mistakes, I, I think it's important to be able to admit you're wrong and then being able to correct that going forward. You know, I agree. And it's funny. It's, it kind of ties back to all the behavioral finance stuff. I mean, it's not just about raw IQ and it's processing speed and all that sort of stuff. It really is the temperamental factors, I think, that make the good managers, the good managers. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Amy. Any closing words? No, I, um, I just really appreciate you having me on and um, I hope I hope to be able to be invited back. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final words. Stay balanced and stay the course. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions.
Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Strategist at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at orion.com. All opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information that participants consider reliable.